0: Thank you, Ed. Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning, and we're going to be reading again, as Derek did earlier, from Philippians chapter 2. So if you'll be turning there in your Bibles, please. And welcome back as we're continuing to learn that life is better together. Better together. God created us to live together in community, to live together in family, to live together in specifically the family of God. And this is a great lesson that we're learning, that we are better together. Now we've got a problem though, because right now we can't all be together. And so how do we express this togetherness even when we can't all be in the same room together? I'm glad that you're here. We've got a good gathering this morning for those at home, you can't see this. But let me just address those of y'all who are home right now. We thank God for you You're right where you need to be right now, Uh, either from your own uh, medical history or compromised immune system, or maybe you're in quarantine right now, or God forbid, maybe you're even sick right now. You're right where you need to be. We love you, we miss you, but we understand you're right where you need to be. And so we give you all of our loving prayers right now, and we welcome you in, even though you can't be in the room, we can be together, even when we can't be together. And how is it that we get to minister together? How do we minister together? The Scriptures give us a wonderful platform for that, and that is the one another passages in the Bible. Have you noticed how many there are? Uh, You're reading, especially in the New Testament, you don't have to go very far, especially in Paul's writings and John's writings, uh, until you hear that, see that phrase, one another. Again, and what Derek and I have done, we've taken all of these together, and as we've looked at them, they naturally find themselves into four categories as we've been presenting them to you, because this is really the background of our church covenant. This is the foundation for how we determine that we're going to do life together. And one of the things we've learned is that all of the one another's are governed by one big one another. And that's found in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, where Jesus himself commands us, this is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you would love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this commandment is the overarching one. This is the, the, if you please, the broadest foundation. This is how we're going to do life together. We're going to do life out of love. So as we looked at all of those one another's, the first category, the largest one that we find, is the love one another's. And it's not just that one passage, a full Third, of all of the passages about one another in the New Testament, deal with how we're to love one another. So that is the foundation. And then last week, uh, Derek took you through. What happens when we're loving one another? Well, this pulls us into a fresh togetherness. It pulls us into unity. It pulls us into oneness. It answers that prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father. Father, make them one as even you and I are one. And today, now, we're going to build on beyond that. We've got the big, broad, love one another as as Christ loved us, all the other love one another's, then the unity one another's. Now we're going to see the humility one another's. The humility one another's. This is where we go next. And God has richly blessed us in this. About 15% of all the one another's in the New Testament have to do with humility, deference that we pay towards one another. Now, when I say humility... That, that means something different today than it meant in biblical times. Are you surprised about that? <laughs> now, it means something very different. Today, uh, as I, and I looked up several different definitions of this, today, secular definition is a modest or low view of one's importance, uh, meekness. Well now, let me tell you something, that's not the biblical definition of humility. Not in the least. As believers, we need to go how how the Bible defines this word, as we're called to walk humbly with one another. And it's not weakness. It's not weakness. It is meekness. They sound the same, but they're very different. Meekness is power under God's control. You want to see humility that is, is, is expressed in meekness, God's power, uh, power under God's control. Think about Jesus going to the temple. And now as he saw in the temple, things were being done there that were so wrong. They, they, they were, God's house was to be called a house of prayer. And people had turned it into Walmart. Okay, turned it into a place of merchandise. There's nothing wrong with a Walmart. There's nothing wrong with a place of merchandise. But the Lord's house was to be called a house of prayer. And so what did he do? He turned over the tables of the money changers. Kind of pause a minute. We're not talking about a little card table. We're talking about huge, heavy table. Flipped them over with, with, with a braided cord. He ran them out. He was expressing righteous wrath in the temple of God. That doesn't sound like weakness to me, does it to you? That is meekness. That's power, but it's power that is under God's control. Now you're getting closer to what humility is about. Humility is freedom from pride and arrogance. It's the ability to walk in peace knowing the great power of Holy Spirit is always there to move in and through us. Humility is the comfort of knowing that who you are in Christ and Christ in you and being able to operate out of that confidence, to be able to operate out of that quiet power that resides within you. It's a confidence in knowing you are in God's heart even as He is in you. Your heart. It's boldness, but not braggadociousness. It's a boldness that comes from being in Christ. You can be a peacemaker without having to fight to have your own needs met. Because you're humble. And Paul writes this, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourself. You see, humility is recognizing that you need God's help. That you can't do this on your own. But that with God's help, you can do everything He's called you to do. You see where the boldness comes in? You see where the confidence comes into that? Yeah. It's being so comfortable in who you are in Christ that you can freely build others up without having to worry about whether or not anybody's building you up. Because it's mutual. Is this something that Jesus did? Yeah, now, now you, you turn to Philippians 2. Turn to Philippians 2. If you had not got it there, and we're going to be reading again in just a moment from verse 5. But I want you to see this. This is exemplified in Christ. Humility is exemplified in Christ. That's in your notes. And three ways you see humility exemplified in Christ. First of all, Jesus epitomized servanthood. He epitomized servanthood. In in the Bible, he gives the example of what it means that the Son of God humbled himself. The Creator, the star speaker, humbled himself. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. Let's read this. He says, let your attitude should be the same as the attitude of Jesus Christ. Will you underline that? The same as the attitude of Jesus Christ. This is universal. You ask, what was Jesus' attitude about this? How did Jesus feel about this? How did Jesus respond to this? What is His perspective on this? Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. Who? Being in very nature God. God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be uh, held onto and coveted. Look, but He made Himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man, He humbled Himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Can you just camp out there for just a moment? The eternal Son of God, creator and sustainer of this universe, worthy of all worship and honor and power and majesty and might, who in heaven the angels call His name and bow down and worship Him. This Jesus humbled Himself, made Himself lowly, took upon the very nature of a bond servant. Bond servants had no rights. No rights whatsoever. They belonged. Body, mind, and soul. They belonged to someone else. He took upon Himself the role of the servant. And out of that servant heart was obedient to God even though it took Him to the cross. Will you just let that let that mellow in your heart just for a moment. And then couple it back to the way how Paul started this sentence. Let this attitude be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. If who he was in all of his might and wonder and splendor and glory, he chose the path of humility. What does that say to you and I? What does that say to you and I? So he epitomized servanthood. And that's why Paul would write in Colossians 3.12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. As we abide in Him and as He abides in us, what is He doing? He is transforming our character, our attitudes, our way of thinking, our way of living, more and more every day to look like Him. To look like Him. To be like Him. So he was loving. There's your big foundation. He was united with the Father. And he was united with his brothers. And out of that he could humbly be a servant to all. Do you see how this is building one on top of the other? And it does in our lives too. As we begin in love, and we surrender to the love of God, And that love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And it begins this transforming work in our lives. And as we abide in Him, and as He is abiding us, transformation happens more and more every day. And that transformation, He's pulling us together, knitting us tighter and tighter to Him and to the body of Christ. And as He does that, then we can humbly join the great servant in service. And we can be service alongside Him. Jesus epitomized that. Secondly, Jesus taught this. Jesus taught servanthood. In Mark 10, 43, you just can't miss this. (laughs) You just can't miss this. Jesus said, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. He taught this. I mean, in words it's hard to misunderstand. Small words that I can grasp. He taught this. And finally, he modeled this. He modeled this. Let me take you back to John chapter 13. Jesus gathers the disciples together in the upper room, and they're going to celebrate the Passover together. And As they enter into that upper room, a servant is supposed to be there. The lowest of all of the servants are supposed to be there. And he's got a basin of water and a towel. And as they walk into the room, they stop and he bathes each of their feet. And then they go sit down and eat. They've just come from the communal baths. They've just come from where they've totally cleaned themselves. And ritually they have cleaned themselves. But they've walked through the dusty streets of Jerusalem and they need to have their feet cleansed before they'll be ready to sit at the table. But that servant's not there. He doesn't show up or whatever, we don't know. So what happened? Each and every one of those boys walks right by the bowl and right by the towel and takes the place that they want to sit in around the table. And Jesus sits back and He watches and He waits. He's been teaching and be an example of servanthood for three years. And his boys still hadn't quite got the message yet. So, what does he do? He stands up and he takes off his outer coat. He takes off his inner coat. All is left is his loincloth. And he goes over himself and he picks up the bowl and he gets the towel and he begins the process of washing each and every dirty. Calloused, sandaled foot. And then when he was done, he said, do you understand what I have done? The servant is not greater than the master. If I have done this for you, what can you infer that you're supposed to do for others? To humble yourself. To be a servant. Jesus epitomized this. He taught this. And he modeled this. Paul was the same way. Paul was the same way. When it came to him, Paul never came up as being braggadocious. As saying, hey look at me and what all I've done. All the churches I've I've started and all of this. And what a great preacher I am. No, he never did that. As a matter of fact, when he had to confront some of those people who were doing that, he refused to play that game. Rather, he said, My credentials? Look at the people whose lives have been genuinely transformed. They're my living letters of recommendation. You want to talk about what God has done in your life? Let me tell you about how many times I've been shipwrecked, how many times I've been beaten, how many times I've been in prison, how, how I've been a servant even when it hurt. Those were his credentials. Those were his credentials. Servant credentials. Well, Brother Fred, okay, I, I, I get it. This is important in the Bible. But what does humility look like? How, what does that look like? How, how can I understand what that looks like on me and in my family and in my, my community and in my neighborhood? What does humility look like? Let me introduce you to the one others. <laughs> That's what they are. These are the how-to's. This is the, here's what it looks like. The humility one another. Let's look at it just very briefly. Now, just like the others, let me remind you, these are not suggestions of what you might want to do. They're commands. They're commands of how you do life in the family of God. They're not talking about how you treat lost people. They're talking about how you live in the family of God. Okay? They're they're commands. They're significant. They're, they're, They're commands. And as most commands, you've got positive and negatives. And so let's start with the positives. First of all, in John 13, I've already shared this with you. He says, you need to wash one another's feet. You need to humble yourself to the point of servitude. And wash one another's. I, have you ever had that experience? Either to be on the receiving end or the giving end of that. I, I hope one day you will. I hope one day you will. It's a powerful, powerful tool Holy Spirit can use in your heart and in your life. And let me tell you what it does. It destroys pride. It crushes prejudice. It destroys selfishness. When you take upon yourself that servant role and doing the lowest of the deeds, and you're doing that, not grudgingly, but you're doing that with a happy heart of being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something freeing in that, folks. There's something so freeing in that. Philippians 2. We regard one another as more important than ourselves. I referred to that earlier. Let nothing be done in selfish ambition or conceit. But in all lowliness of mind, let each of you esteem others better than yourself. Again, this breaks the back of pride and selfishness. Galatians 5.13. But through love, serve one another. Serve one another. Years ago, a strong movement among Christian men was called Promise Keepers. I was proudly involved with that movement. Proud, I still consider myself a Promise Keeper. I hope you do too, men. But I remember at one of those gatherings where we were at, a challenge went out to the men. And the challenge was this. You know, guys, you're always competitive. Men by nature are competitive. You know that, don't you? Women, have you found that out about your man yet? Very competitive. And so he said this let no other person outserve you. Let no other person outserve you. And that's just a modern way of saying what Jesus said if you want to be great in my army, you be a great servant. You learn how to be a servant to all. In Ephesians chapter 5, the passage that has so much to do with marriage. Verse 21 it says, but submitting to one another in the fear of God. That means to be subject to one another. That means to take your wants, needs, hope, dreams, and you put those secondary to somebody else. You see how this crushes your pride? You see how this deals with selfishness? Indeed. 1 Peter 5.5 five, Close yourself in humility. He said live in harmony with another another in, in Romans twelve sixteen, and don't be haughty, don't be proudful, don't be disgusting so what are we to make of this? what are we to make of this? I, I, I want to give you a couple of takeaways, two of them very quick one of them I'm going to have to camp out for just a few minutes first of all let me say it again these are not suggestions these are what? tell me again Commands, okay? Commands. All of you who've been in the military, you understand what it is when someone in command gives you a direct order. Okay? These are commands. Secondly, not only are they commands, but this is how Christ-likeness is shown through us. If you've been involved in our study of 1 John that we do on Wednesday night. Over and over and over again, the aged apostle says, Here's how you test yourself. And, and over and over again, what it is, is you may say this, but what are you doing? Let, let, let what you do match what you're saying. You say you're a Christ follower. How did Christ walk? He walked in humble servitude. Are you a servant? Who are you serving? How are you serving? But third, can I be real transparent with you? Two of the greatest demons that I have had to fight my life long, and you probably have two. But two of the greatest demons I've had to fight my life long is pride and selfishness. Pride and selfishness. They've been the downfall of so many marriages. They've been the cause of so many fights within the church. And they are the tool that Satan uses so many times to hamstring believers from spiritual growth. Nothing crushes pride and selfishness like the humility one another's. Because the call is not to be puffed up, look at me what I do. Look at what I give. Look what committees I'm serving on. Look what I'm involved in. Look, look, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh-uh. No. It's, it's, it's looking to Jesus. And not only are we looking to Jesus, how can we serve like Jesus? And if there's any competition in the body of Christ, let it be competing as to who is the first one to go clean out the backed up toilet. I know we've arrived when we have somebody say, there's a toilet backed up out in the vestibule, and 30 men are running over one another to see who can get there first to clean it up. That's humility. That's service. That's competing, let no man out serve you. That's what it means to powerfully walk in who we are in Christ. And and can I put this, this is going to get uncomfortable, can I, can I put this in the modern vernacular? When you and I learn to practice the one another, here's what we learn. The Christian life is not about me. The Christian life is not about me. I want to say that again, because I want to be sure you've heard that. The Christian life is not about me. Church is not about me. It's not about me. Will you say that with me right now? It's not about me. Let's say it one more time. It's not about me! You see how this breaks the back of selfishness and pride in our church? What causes so many differences and and disintegration of fellowship in the church? Somebody says, it's about me. I'm not getting my needs met. I'm not getting my preferences heard. Does that sound like the humility that's being taught in the Scriptures? Let me tell you where it's about me. How am I being a servant to each and every one of you? And how are you Being a servant. The best servant. The greatest servant this church has ever known. That's when it's all about you. It's not about me. It's about how I am being made into the image of my Lord Jesus Christ. And how I am becoming a servant to come alongside the great servant And serve in the body of Christ. In my life, this has been a mountain I've had to climb over and over. These have been enemies I've had to fight over and over. And you probably have too. And you may even be doing that right now. You know something this pandemic does? It's been isolating us. It's been isolating us. And when you're, when you're created to live in community and you're isolated, everything's out of sorts. Because it's not the way it's supposed to be. But when you're isolated, let me tell you what is right on the heels of that. There's a demon who is really, really, really effective right now. And it's the deep, dark demon of depression. And he's taking advantage of the isolation. Advantage of so many people having to be so far away right now. Not just you folks here at home. I'm not talking just about you. I'm talking about a lot of other folks. And in that depression, you know what happens? We begin to look at everything the way it is interpreted by me. And what can happen in this isolation is, is life becomes me-centered. Life becomes me-centered. And I don't know about you, but I, when I see that happening, I say, oh, I know this demon. <laughs> I, I know this demon. I know the lies he brings. And I know the truth he twists. I will not succumb to that. You don't have to succumb to that. How can we be together, together in a pandemic? How can we one another, one another when we can't be together, together? Do not take his lie that because you're isolated at home, you are an island all by yourself and you have nothing that you can do to contribute to the church of God and the body of Christ. That's a lie! Don't buy that lie! You can perform every one another, even when you are isolated. You've all got communications. Now your phone may be attached to the wall and you may pick it up and have to turn a dial around at, but you've got communication. You can call somebody, and you can encourage them. You can call somebody and you can pray with them. You can practice the one another's over the phone. If your hand is not broke, you can write a note. You can write a card. You can put it in the mail. Wait until 3 o'clock in the morning when nobody else is outside and run out real quick and put it in your mailbox and run back inside. With your mask and with your gloves and with your shield. Okay. You can do this! You can do this! And you know what? If we're all doing this, listen to me, listen to me. If we're all doing this, Everybody gets covered. Everybody gets loved on. Everybody gets encouraged. And nobody has to be isolated. This is the prime time to one another, one another. When we can't always be together, together. Get creative. Get creative. There are ways we can do this. Let me wrap this up and then we're done. The one another that we interpret all the one another's by is the great commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. And from that, love then becomes the thing that interprets all the other one another's. And the first thing that it does is it brings us together. And that was all of those unity one another's. And let me, let me remind you of something, okay? Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity doesn't mean we all look alike, we all act alike, we all speak alike, we all quack and we all quack in the same line. That is, that's not what... That's uniformity, folks. That's dangerous. That's, 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 that's not biblical. Unity means when there are things that unify us like the blood of Jesus Christ. Like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like ministering in His name. We are one. We are very different in our church family. We come all different kinds of backgrounds. All socioeconomic this, backgrounds. all of it. So very, very, very different. But we are one. We've all had the love of God shed abroad in our heart. And He we brought us into this one family of God. And in this unity, we get to serve one another in humility not in pride not in selfishness but in loneliness of heart not because we've got to but because we get to this is the privilege of being in the body of Christ so let me ask you get creative who are you serving How are you serving? Who in your circle of friends or acquaintances in the church? Who do you know that you say, God, I I don't know how to do this. You're going to have to help me be creative. How can I serve my girlfriends in in my Bible study group? Who are you serving? How are you serving? if you love God and God loves you? If He's called you to Himself, He's called you to unity, to be one united army of servants. How are you doing that? What does that look like on you? What does that look like on you? What does that look like on you? It looks different on each and every one of us. But you know what? It smells the same. Because it's the aroma of Christ that you smell when you're around the body of Christ. And when we come together, you know what? We don't come together here to serve necessarily. We go out these doors to serve. That's where We reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ that can't be here. And they reach out to us. And we want another one another even when we can't be together together. you learned how to say that yet? (laughs) Have you learned that tongue twister yet? Uh, That's going to be our new motto. How do we want another one another even when we can't be together together? We can. And I ask you to join me in prayer to do that. I want you to pray with me, first of all, asking God how you can be a servant this week. And then, I want to join us together in praying, who can we reach out and be a servant to? Now listen to me, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But you know folks that can't be here right now. Okay? We all do. And for good, viable reasons, they're not second-class citizens because they can't be in the building. All right? Most of us have had times that we couldn't be here. I know I have. I remember when I was shut up all those months from, from in, in my recovery from my heart surgery. Who's not here that you can reach out to Who is it in your Bible study group and your Sunday school group sits around where you usually do and you look over left, you look right. Well, they're not here right now. Bingo! Yeah. You just found your assignment for this week. Now, for those of you at home, listen. As we talk to you, you say, oh, I miss so much being together with you. Who do you miss? Don't say me. I know it better than that. Who do you miss? Is your phone still working? Can you still write a card? Can you maybe, maybe, maybe do an act of kindness? Yeah. Who's on your heart right now? How can you one another one another? Even when we can't be together together. We can. It's called a prayer. God, show us how we can be the church to one another. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I want to thank you not only for for Lord Jesus, what you said and, and did and taught, but Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for how you encouraged Paul and John and James and Peter as you encourage them to write various things to churches or groups or individuals, that one common theme unites them all and each and every one of them wrote about one another's. How the early church in its infancy being heavily, heavily persecuted and meeting in small numbers and in homes or in catacombs or wherever, how they could one another one another. Even when they couldn't be in big groups. That's the setting, Lord, where you got all this started. It was not in megachurch gatherings of thousands of people, one anothering one another. though that, some of that happens. No, you started this in the cells underneath, those arenas where those Christians would be killed. And even today around the world in dark little corners with just a candle and a few pages out of a Bible, Christians meet in secret because they can't meet in large groups. But in all of these over the years, God, you have continued to show us how we can one another one another, even when we can't be together together. Holy Spirit, will that creativity come upon us now. And out of our incredible love we have for you, and our love we have for the body, will you show us how to one another, one another, even when we can't be together together. And our answer will be yes. Father, some here today may want to unite with our fellowship Will you give them the freedom as we sing to come and sit on this front row and let Derek or Eric or I come and share with them about how they can join our fellowship? Some may want to come to the altar and just pray for our unity and our service in the church here? Father, will you give us the freedom to do that? This is your time, Holy Spirit. Do your work in our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.